1: Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and digital education, what parents need to know. With us in our virtual studio is Ann Dolan, uh, what I consider a thought leader on this particular topic. Uh, Before we get into the details of the show, real quickly, uh, our program is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And in celebration of that event, uh, we want to give away free copies of Attention Magazine. Uh, To do that, just listen to our show. We're going to share uh, a keyword a couple times through the show. Write that keyword down. Uh, listen to another one of our shows. Uh, there will be a keyword in that. Write that down, and then email me uh, both keywords. The email address is attention at and when I get that, I will forward that on to Chad um, to get you a PDF copy of the current version of Attention Magazine, and then they'll send you a PDF copy of the next version when it is in print. Again, we are grateful for uh, Chad's support of our show. We've got a little tip that we're going to run, and we'll get into the show. Do you have
0: questions about managing ADHD? Do you need to find a doctor to diagnose or treat ADHD? Or are you looking for a therapist or an ADHD coach? How about support groups? CHAD's National Resource Center on ADHD has health information specialists who can provide you with helpful resources. Call 1-866-200-8098, Monday through Friday, 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time.
1: Uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. With us in our virtual studio is Ann Dolan, uh, what I consider a thought leader on this particular topic. Anne has more than 20 years of uh, teaching, tutoring, and counseling experience. In 1998, she founded Educational Connections, a tutoring company that has grown to employ 200 tutors and has worked with over 8,000 students in the Washington, D.C. area. Her first book, titled Homework Made Simple, uh, tips, tools, and solutions for stress-free homework, won a Publish, Publisher's Association 2011 Parenting Book of the Year Award. and is a member of Attitude ADHD Medical Review Panel and board member for both CHAD and International Dyslexia Association. She is known for her engaging and informative approach while addressing students, faculty, and parents on the most important topics related to today's educational programs. For more information, visit Ann's website at Dolan. Anndolin, that's dot com or ectutoring.com. Ann, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much, Jeffrey, to be
1: here. Missed having you. It's been a long time since we've had you on the show. We need to get you back more frequently, but uh, I'm excited about today. You know, Ann, with the pandemic, uh, a lot has changed. Digital learning is becoming a fact of life now, and as we talked before the show, it's here to stay at this point in time. And tutors, teachers, parents, coach, everybody's trying to figure this stuff out all at one time, and it's a bit of a challenge, but I think it's important to know that we're in a process of trying to figure this stuff out. I consider you a thought leader as one trying to help pioneer how we pull this stuff together. So just want to, your thoughts on the fact that, you know, the pandemic hit, uh, digital learning is kind of here to stay, and we need to make adjustment to that.
0: I absolutely agree with you, Jeff. You know, I think it's accelerated things in education by about 10 years, and I think ultimately we would have gone into this direction to some degree, um, maybe in 10 years, but we were thrown into it, and so we've all had to adapt. Some kids and some families have done better than others, but it's been particularly hard on our kids with ADHD.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that before we get into some of the details of it is, over the years and all the experts that I've interviewed, I've kind of boiled ADHD down to a self-regulation issue with a working memory, I say deficit, it's really kind of not, it's more taxed, but as I describe it, it is working memory is working with information in your head and there's two sides of this visual imagery and there's um, self-talk. Uh, for people who want to learn more about this, just Google attention talk radio GPS and you can hear an interview that I did with Dr. Russell Bark with detail. But in short, having to gra- get, get information in our minds and manipulate it, If a working memory is overtaxed, there's a tendency to want to escape. So it's a focus issue, and it looks like a focus issue, but the culprit is not necessarily just motivation attention. It's the working memory we've got to solve for that. And so in the digital world, I know when I was a kid, you know, in in dinosaur days, you know, we had books, and we had notebooks, and I could see it, and I could open it, and I could look at a book, and I could see how much content was there. There's a lot of visual cues that are there. But in the digital world, it's hard to conceptualize just the material that I'm covering and even we talked before this interview is that you know there's multiple platforms there's um different schools there's different teaching styles and so this array of stuff out there to me it's overburdening an already overburdened working memory system. So that's a that's a, a first challenge. And the second one is, I've learned over the years that organizing to me is a two-step process. The first is to, to to figure which system you're going to use, which is really trial and error. And then the second is to organize within that system. And I'm framing this out um, for our listeners because as we get into these things, that is the issues that we're dealing with, and that's what we've got to solve for. And in preparing for this, we are talking about you tutoring and working with kids, and one of the things I heard that really stood out was the need to spend time with your kids talking through and planning. Can you talk to uh, us a little bit about that, what you do and the need for it, and what you find is helpful for parents to keep in mind? Sure. You know,
0: if you have a child who's having difficulty with all of these things, like many of them are, it's so, so helpful. If your child will work with you to sit down with him or her even just once a week, if that's all the time you have, preferably like a Sunday night for 20 minutes, and just sift through what they have coming up. And it may not be simple. It sounds simple, but it's not. And here's why. As you mentioned, Jeff, teachers are on all different platforms. Some teachers will post assignments in Google Docs. Some will put it in Blackboard. Some will put it in Whipple Hill or another platform. And honestly, it's a mess. So it's hard for kids that don't have ADHD, but it's really, really hard for our kids with that working memory issue, they can't remember. Where does my teacher post that? Oh, but she puts projects here and tests here, and the calendar is over here. So one of the things we can do with our kids is to sit down once a week and figure this all out. What do you have coming up? What is due? And then backward planning those things so that your child has a sense of um, what's coming up and they can plan ahead appropriately. And if you don't feel like you have that relationship with your child, like many of us, this is difficult and there's a lot of friction. Get somebody else involved. Um, You know, it could be a professional. It could be a college student down the street. It could be somebody virtually, but it might be that your child isn't going to be able to do this on their own. No matter how much you tell them to plan ahead, to stay focused, to just try harder, those things don't work. They need somebody to sit through this.
1: Yeah, I think it's two things. Number one, I think organization in the digital world, in my opinion, is more difficult than was organization in the regular world. It's much more complicated, so I think it's harder. Second thing is, you, you talked about parents working with their kids, and I kind of learned this the hard way. And everybody, I'm a parent, and I, I'm not any holier than anybody else out there. But I do remember explicitly being a Boy Scout leader, and one time a mother coming up to me and complaining about her, something about her kid, and I said, you know, d- don't worry about it. I, I'll, I'll give them the message. And she looked at me kind of funny. I said, yeah, because I'm not you. And, and, and in that moment, it dawned on me, you know, when your kids hit puberty, they're supposed to start be pushing away and becoming more independent. And that's why I, you know, forgive my vernacular, but I use this punctuation. When my oldest son was at the time when he was 12, apparently in June one night, I had a dumb ass attack because the next day I woke up, I was the day before I was the smartest, fastest, brightest dad. The next day I was horrible. And I say that because. It's a natural part of evolution for kids to push away. If your kid will work with you, it's a really good idea. But if not, don't fight that. Try to find a trusted friend, a coach, a professional or something like that because it's really, really important that you work with that. And I I remember we interviewed Terry Maitland years ago. As a mother, not a professional, and she had a couple interesting rules. One is there's never just one adult in the house; there's always two, one's watching the kid. But the one I liked most, under no circumstance, was homework ever to come home. And the reasoning was is that she didn't want to develop an adversarial relationship with her kids, and she really wanted to kind of nurture that. And I'm I'm sharing that it's a little unrealistic right now, but just as a parent, I just want to provide that context that the kids might be pulling away. Uh, And you you don't want that adversarial relationship. And so what I hope is we're inspiring you to reach out to resources, trusted friends, if necessary, to do that. And also that this is a lot more complicated, and I think it's going to take a lot more parental involvement, not only to help your kids get organized, but also to model these skills. What are your thoughts on that?
0: It's important. You know, on Sunday night, personally, I sit down, I go through my calendar for the week ahead, I'll confirm appointments, um, shoot off a couple emails just to prepare myself. And when my kids were younger, I would talk to them about that a lot. Like, this is how I get ready for my week. And most of the time, they rolled their eyes. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> you know, basically, it's not that important. But it was so funny. My older son, he's 22. And he, he had a hard time his first few years in college. He took a year off, he came back, and he's doing really well. But he, I said to him, you know what's been different for you this time around, what's been helpful?" And um, he said, "You know, that thing about Sunday nights, it just really works well, and it helps me understand what I have to do in my classes. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel great that, oh wow, one thing I said. Um, but as executive function coaches in my company, this is a hallmark of what we do is planning ahead. It is either we'll have a Sunday session could be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which I like the most, or a Monday session, really to look at the week ahead with the child because they don't think to do this naturally. They're mm-hmm. in the now. They're yep. like, okay, what do I have to do now? And that's how things fall through the cracks. And mm-hmm. it's never a great feeling when you know your child says, oh, mom, um, can you take me to the craft store? I forgot I have this project due, you know, whatever. It's at eight o'clock on Wednesday night. It's due on Thursday. Um, this type of thing, this interaction
1: helps to prevent those things from happening. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. You work a lot with uh, kids, teens, uh, college students. I work much more with adults. And this concept of planning, you know, one of the things that I learned over the years, going back to the root, that being working memory, is uh, Dr. Thomas Brown once said a quote to me one time, which he's always read to me. It's like watching a basketball game through a telescope. And if you can just imagine being at a basketball game, watching it through a telescope, I mean, you could probably see like one inch of the floor, and as the guys would run by, you see these flashes, but you can't really tell a game that's kind of going on. And I'm saying that because with digital technology, the, that old wall calendar that we used to have, where the, the kids could see the context and the adult could see the context for the day and the week, is so much bigger. And sometimes when we, we're did dealing with a cell phone and a calendar, again, I use that analogy. It's like watching a basketball game through a telescope. So. What are your thoughts on that? Some people can function like that, but other people actually have to spread it out and see it. Do you see that in your work with kids and planning?
0: I do. You know, and, and this, first of all, I love that analogy. That's <laughs> brilliant. Um, and I've seen it more this year than ever before, because you know, if you think about, especially elementary kids, the first day of school they get a planner.
2: Mm-hmm. What
0: did they get this year? They got nothing. Um, <laughs> they had to come up with their own way of keeping track of their work. Now, some kids are naturally good with this, but most aren't, especially at the younger ages. Um, and so what we've worked a lot with our kids is a very cheap solution. It's called a whiteboard, <laughs> many of us use them. And it needs to be that visual thing that's out there, that they can see, that they can keep track of what they have to do, it feels so great, you get a sort of dopamine when you cross something off. Um, but for many kids, you're right, you know, they, if they have that telescope view, it's not serving them well mm-hmm. um, for what's coming up. And so having it out in the open, even if it's just, a, you know, a paper and pencil desk calendar or, or a notebook that they keep track or that whiteboard, ideally that's going to benefit them the most because it's not out of sight, out of mind.
1: Another question I have in that particular world, there's adults. Again, listen to the, the show on working memory, but I, in talking to Dr. Russell Barkley, we talk about self-talk, a lot of like normal, normal typical people, they sit and they think. They're really talking to themselves inside their head, but we can't hear them. But people with ADHD because their working memory is so taxed, often not to talk is not to think. So they actually have to speak it to be interacting with it. And I've actually had a lot of people like adults like revolutionize this stuff, like just talk out loud with what you're doing. And even talk out loud in the planning process, because not to talk is not to think. And so I remember when my kids were coming through that don't have ADHD. You know, it was always helpful to kind of get them to engage and talk about what's going on so that they could understand it. Even at 13, a neurotypical kid's working memory is not as there. Tell me about your experience in that, because as adults, we always want them to go off and do their homework. But to me, my, my intuition is digital learning. You need to be a little bit more interactive to get them engaged. Do you see that or thoughts on that?
0: Absolutely. You know, as parents, if we could just really ask powerful questions instead of telling what to do, that never works yep. with a child with ADHD, or at least I have not found that to be successful. So, oh, you know, tell me what you have going on. What do you have coming up this week? Oh, what's the first step in doing that? Those are really good questions to have with kids. I've also found that that talk out loud idea works great for studying. You know, oftentimes this is the kid's idea of studying. I have a test tomorrow. Here are my notes. They'll read through them and then exclaim, I study. Yep. (laughs) Not a great thing. So we want our kids to do things like make practice tests and even old-fashioned things like flashcards. Those work great. But what really works well is if you take those flashcards and you ask yourself the questions out loud and you answer them back, just like you're taking a test, those types of things really engage you know, the auditory part of learning, but help kids to just stay focused. Yes. You know, they're less likely to get lost in their thoughts if they're doing this stuff out
1: loud. Absolutely. Um, tell you what, let's go to break, and when we come back, we'll kind of continue with this topic. Um, our secret word tonight is education. That's our secret word. And, and the best place for people to learn about you and your services, ectutoring.com. Is that correct? That is it. And you've got a whole bunch of information on that site. Can you just tell about a little bit of some things that the, uh, people can find?
0: Sure, we have a blog with all kinds of great articles on remote learning. Um, We also have a page just for executive function. And then if you want to learn more specifically about how to help your child with virtual learning, I have a a YouTube page and just Google Ann Dolin, and you can find lots of webinars that I've done for schools and parents uh, with really great tips on how to make virtual learning work.
1: Excellent. All right, everybody. Uh, Again, our secret word tonight is education. With that, we'll be right back after these messages.
2: Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Do you
1: worry when your child is left out? Does your child have trouble making and keeping friends? Life skills can be challenging for ADHD kids. Learn how you can be your child's greatest ally by reading the book Ned Hollowell described as a game changer. Michelle Borba referred to as the ultimate guide for parents and Michael Thompson praised as the groundbreaking book you've been waiting for. Go to PlayBetterPlan.com to buy a copy of Caroline McGuire's book, Why Will No One Play With Me? While you're there, subscribe to download her free mini-course on developing social skills for children. That's PlayBetterPlan.com. learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash atr that's addca.com
2: slash atr
1: managing adhd is about pausing before you ponder and proceed this opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by
2: digcoaching.com and now back to attention talk radio
1: Welcome back everybody we're here with uh, Ann Dolan who I consider to be a thought leader in the education world as we all are digesting everything that's going on to like move in an accelerated fashion to digital learning. before the break, we were, we were ta- i mean emphasizing a lot of working memory to kind of illuminate kind of the background a lot of what, what I've learned drives a lot of things and then really kind of validates what Ann's been kind of preaching for parents a long time and to help parents understand the why it's done the way it is, to understand how you need to interact with your kid and what works. And, and one of the things that I've learned in the adult world is, again, going back to when you're looking at a little screen – Forgive me, but in the days when I was in in school, you had a book and you had your notes and I could highlight the book and I could highlight my notes and my eye could just dart from a, a point of text to my notes and I could go back and forth. But in the digital world, if you're just on a screen, you might read something online. You're starting to be able to annotate it, but it's not like reading a book. And then you've got to click on a tab and hold what you read in memory and scroll down and find something else. And that is overburdening your working memory and you have a tendency to kind of escape. And corporate America has kind of figured that out because often there's like four or five monitors that are there. But I don't really see a lot of students with this. And so this is another example that and I know me, I've got a high-speed printer. I'm probably going go through a tree a week um, because I have to spread it all out to do that. When it comes to digital learning, I think that like kids are not used to dealing with paper. But for the ADD crowd, for some of them, it's, it's not it's like a, a non-negotiable. In fact, the interview that I did with Dr. Barkley, we got to the end of it and we kind of concluded that sometimes paper's high tech for kids with ADHD. Can you speak to printing and its role in learning in the digital world and if parents should really advocate for that or if there's other ways? Just help us understand your experience on that.
0: It really does depend on the student. And, you know, in working with lots of kids, I will tell you that there are some printing kids and they do just do better with hard copies. Um, Often what happens, even if they figure out, you know what, I'm a printing kid, I do better with hard copies, they don't have a system for storing it. And so they need an organizational system for their digital files, but they also still need one um, for their paper files. And so I've found at this time when kids don't have a lot of paper flow, um, having an accordion binder works really, really well with our students and um, making sure that if they need to print stuff out, they're easily able to find it. They have it all stapled together and then they have it in a, a section by the unit. Mm-hmm. Um, other kids, they can, they're can they very technologically inclined. They have a system for taking notes, for annotating, um, for highlighting, although there's a lot of research that shows, shows that highlighting does not improve reading comprehension and, and kids mm-hmm. think it does. Um, it's a fine study tool, but it's not going to help you remember what you read. And so many kids are adept at keeping track of their digital files, um, or they're good at understanding what they read through reading digitally, but they don't necessarily have a system for organization. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing parents can do, is you can just say to your child, oh, you know, just out of curiosity, how do you have this organized? I'm curious. Does your teacher have a system for where you upload things? Does she provide files to you? How does this work? And often just having that conversation, if the student doesn't have a system, they've thought it themselves for so long, but somebody else asking them the question, it kind of starts their brain, you know, turning like, oh, actually, I never thought about that. I don't really have a system. Maybe I should do this. Mm-hmm. And often it's just that question that triggers kids.
1: So uh, this is something else I'm kind of curious about. It goes back to working memory. Like I have a bookcase, and when I look at a book, there's it's a symbol, and I can identify it. Like years ago, I coached a guy, and a professional organizer came come in, and there was a binder that said Bank of America, and he, so he said it was like invisible because when he, when he would read Bank of America, they were just words. He had to use his visual imagery to imagine and visualize the bank, the picture of the bank to associate it, and that's a lot of work, and so he wouldn't necessarily do it. And as an aside, as a little trick, what we did is we actually printed off the Bank of America label logo and put it on the outside. He would associate it with it bypassing the need to use the visual imagery to build this. I hope parents are starting to see like crawling inside of a kid's head how difficult that can be. So for me, I have a digital system, and I've got a paper system, but I've always found it challenging when I go into the digital system because I I can't color code the name of the file and that type of stuff. Now, I'm a very categorical, subcategorical type person, But this is just another area I just want to talk about where we go digital. It's here to stay. We've got to figure that stuff out. But it's another layer, at least for me, like I said, because it's more effortful for me to read a folder or a file and actually understand what that is. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. You
0: know, symbols are incredibly powerful. And you're right. You know, we don't have them like we used to because everything is digital. In fact, um, this is a few years ago. I remember seeing a study about reading comprehension and physical book versus an electronic book, and it turns out that when we have that book in our hands, we can understand the sequence of events and about when things happen just by holding that book, and I think the same is true of symbols. Symbols help kids, you know, not just identify a book off the shelf, but they're really powerful for learning. In fact, there's a great, great website called thelearningscientist.org. And um, there are about eight study skills that are, have proven by research, not just somebody's good idea, mm-hmm. to be highly effective. And symbols is one of them. So whenever kids are studying, if they're a symbol kid, which most of the kids are, you know, even just drawing a picture of something to trigger that information in their memory is really powerful. So we often think, like drawing a picture, creating a symbol, that's for little kids, it's not. It's been proven by research to work for people of all levels,
1: especially at high school and college kids. So I, I, forgive me, I got to tell you this story. I was coaching a woman one time. I go through a discovery thing at the end of it, like, I wasn't coaching in the beginning, it's just setting up. At the end of the call, she said, I need a, I, I struggle with to-do lists. And in the discovery call, I began to realize she was very visual. And I said, just flippantly, well, I don't know, have you ever drawn a picture of a to-do? And it came out of my mouth, it was new to me. This is years ago, early in my coaching career. And she said no i said why don't you try it i mean again it was just in passing a week later she calls in i said how are you doing i said oh my god drawing that picture was really good i mean it really helped and i said okay great now normally i would just go but the metacognition this woman goes you know it was interesting to me because i never realized a letter is a symbol and i got to add all the letters in a word and that becomes a symbol and then i've got to read all the words in a sentence to, to create a picture in my mind so I read it, I create this picture, and I go away, and I got ADD, I get distracted, and all of a sudden my working memory evaporates, and then I got to go back and recreate that picture. She said after a while it's just too much work, and I just said the heck with it. And so then she started drawing these pictures, and I I, I could kill myself because I she sent me a picture of it and I lost it because there's this, she drew this thing one I'm Like, what is that? She said what it was. I, it it didn't really matter to me, but I really in this, this situation want to underscore and help parents and people understand what's really kind of going on here and to see the effortfulness of having to build those pictures. That's a working memory issue and it creates a self-regulation problem. So we can begin to address some of these issues and some of it is all kid dependent, as you said. So, A tip, trick, or strategy which works for one might not work for another, which is really the art of all this. I mean, you're a professional and you do this all the time, but it's just looking at your kid and really trying to understand your kid a little bit and watch their behavior to try to figure out what they gravitate towards, not necessarily what you think it is. Thoughts on that?
0: It's true. You know, you're right. (laughs) As parents, we think, oh, this worked for me, it will automatically work for my child. And many times that's not the case. Um... Kids will say that's old fashioned, or you know, I, I don't want to do that. But what one thing I found talking about this visual imagery thing that's worked actually for the vast majority of the students we see are is something called Doodle Notes. And Doodle Notes are basically a template, and you can get you can go to teacherspayteachers.com and you can type in free doodle notes. There's also a website called doodle notes.org. And it's actually a it's kind of like a template for taking notes. But what's cool about it is that kids, it's totally visual in in these kind of, like these almost like flowcharts or visual maps. Kids, their brains think in compartments, not just, you know, one blank page, which is usually how we take notes. So they take notes in these little boxes. And then what's awesome about it is there's places for them to create a little drawing or a picture. But what I really love is, first of all, that kids love doodle notes. And secondly, The idea is you go back and you use erasable colored pencils or markers or whatever, and you make them your own. You make them really attractive. And I found that when kids have something that's their own, not just notes that they've taken from a lecture, they're much more likely to go back and study it. And so um, I would highly recommend doodle notes for anybody that needs to remember something or is having trouble with note-taking. They, they just work great for all
1: kids, but especially those of ADHD. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense. Tell you what, let's go to another break. We'll come back. We've we'll, got a whole bunch more stuff we want to kind of cover. Again, our secret word tonight is education. And you've got to go check out Ann's website at ectutoring.com. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages.
2: You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more
1: about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The
2: ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com ATR. That's
1: addca.com ATR.
2: Are you always late? Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with uh, Ann Dolan, um, really talking about a lot of the fundamentals that are going on with ADHD and education and digital learning and trying to help everybody understand the why and the, how we're doing some of this stuff. And then as it translates to your child and one of the things that was a revolution for me, uh, several years ago in coaching adults was that at the end of the day, you got to downregulate your emotions and you got to problem solve. You actually got to think so a lot of times you got to engage your work in memory. But when we don't do stuff we're we, Ten, have a tendency to emotionally label ourselves. I'm a procrastinator, or I'm lazy. And what happens is, when you have that emotion, is you jump to a conclusion. You skip over the thinking part. And so, as I study that over the years, and and some other interviews I, I in my work, I've come to realize that. One of the biggest issues of procrastination, what I found, is ambiguity. Now, ambiguity and working memory are kind of interrelated. One is I just don't know what to do. And sometimes you just can't hold it all in your mind. You can't see it. So I kind of talk about that interchangeably. But one of the things that I find with adults is that there was a woman I was coaching the other day. She said, you know, I'm at work. And there's a procedure that I've got to do, and I'm trying to recall it, and it just doesn't come to mind. So it's it's existing knowledge that she has, but it doesn't come to mind. And she realized it works. She would just lean over and say something to somebody, and she'd have the answer within two seconds. Whereas now she's working at home, and she doesn't have that built-in, talking-out-loud answer that's there. So now to go dig that thing up is like 20 minutes of work or whatever It just kind of wears out. And this is the one thing that is really in, in the adult world, that's been profound. Like I had CEOs when COVID hit that were very verbal and that, and literally some of them, we just, the CEOs would have all their direct reports on a zoom call. They weren't in a meeting. They just could see them and they would unhit mute and they would have a conversation as a result of having conversation via email in the digital world this challenge of by themselves and when they run into this ambiguity or this working memory challenge it becomes a real issue and, and, and when i'm working with adults is identify you're not clear and go find some identify what you're not clear about and that could be i don't know what to do i don't know where something is i don't know how long it's going to take and talk about it to gain that clarity to move forward and the digital world a lot of those resources are gone so the kids are kind of up and, and gone can you, your thoughts on that? Because as a parent, to be a resource to help them pass that is all more important than it, than it was before. Thoughts? Yes, I,
0: I completely agree with you, Jeff. I see that a lot in that, you know, you don't have that instant feedback from somebody sitting next to you or asking the teacher. And And quite honestly, this has become a huge obstacle for all kids that they're really unaware how to ask for help. Um, they don't have great self-advocacy skills. They've had to develop them. Some kids have naturally risen to the occasion, but others still will kind of like sit back, disengage, and not ask for help. And, you know, the first step, um, if you see that in your child, and and many of us do, we see that our kid is not the one raising the virtual hand. I don't understand this because they don't want to. It's embarrassing. They think, Nobody else has this question, which we all know is not true. Um, so one thing that we found a lot of success with in helping kids to ask for help is to first determine how does your teacher want to be communicated with? Because some teachers, they only want you to ask something in a chat. It could be a private chat. Some teachers, they're all about email. Some teachers want communication through their platform. So the first step is how does your teacher want to be communicated with? And the second step, what we found is We actually have to do it with the child. So if it's an email, we'll help the student write the email. Hi, Mrs. Smith, I'm really having a hard time um, multiplying fractions. Could you help me with this after school? How does 3 o'clock sound? And the reason I like that approach is of helping the student write it, because if you say, why don't you correspond with your teacher? They'll say, okay, and they never will. But this way, if they get a positive response back from their teacher, they're more, and they will, they're much more likely to do it again. And that's what we want. It's, it's, not, it's a good taste in their mouth. So they're, they're going to ask for help. Um, but if they are not willing to do it on their own, they really do need an adult to help. And if, you know, your child's really pushing back against you, I would bring it up to the teacher and say, and I love using the words I've noticed, instead of um, Jimmy needs help or you need to help Jimmy more, I've noticed Jimmy's having a hard time asking for help. What do you suggest?
1: And show us how that quick dialogue with teachers can really make a big difference. Uh, and so, so, forgive me just to, to, to digress. You're a professional, help kids all the time with this. Um, I, I, one of my favorite stories is I read a book on how to play the guitar, and you know, when I picked it up, I couldn't play it. Um, <laughs> parents, You know, you were born, you didn't get a manual, or if you did, you read it. The application of this is difficult, which is why we're talking to Anne, again, a thought leader in this space, to kind of help you think your way through this and kind of understand kind of what's going on. I also want to to get your thoughts on something. At the end of the day, one of the things that I talk about adults with is society – it's convenient for society if you do it their way. I, I don't like that statement, but it, to me, I talk to my adults about this because it's a reality, and you talk about teachers like to be communicated with in their way, which is unique, and one of the real challenges I see is with this digital stuff is you're having to adapt to so many different things and so many different – It's as we started to say, this is a reality of the world, but this is a challenge for kids with ADHD, which – this is another reason they need more help and pulling this stuff together. So where I'm going with this... As I just want your thoughts because my sense is this. it's a slippery slope. One, you want to help your kids with executive functioning so that they communicate because we've got to get the knowledge. If they graduate without the knowledge, that doesn't do any good. But we don't want to do it all for them because at the end of the day, as I say, when you graduate, customers don't care if you have ADHD or not. They're not going to give you accommodations. So this is this dynamic that's going on. We've got to get them get the knowledge, but we, we don't want to create a dependency. I got to believe working with kids and they're all different that's a tricky slope i mean it really kind of depends thoughts on that
0: you know as parents we really do want to prioritize a relationship over grades you know honestly are you really gonna care in five years i always use a five-year rule in five years does it really matter what your child got in fifth grade social studies no um <laughs> does it matter how they did in spanish one in eighth grade probably not um But what does matter is if you have a relationship with your child. And when everybody's stressed out and everybody's feeling down, it's the one thing as parents that we don't want to put off to the side, that we just really want to help our kids um, feel the best they can. And part of that is just focusing on just get the work done. If you can just get the minimally accepted amount of work done, fabulous. Mm -hmm. Do not worry as parents. About quality. Leave the quality up to the teacher. That is their job. If we want to preserve relationships with our kids, our job is just focus. You know, make sure they're up on time. They're in front of their computer on time, and as best as we can, we help them get their work done. Yep. It doesn't have to be great. It just as much as possible needs to be complete. Um, and I found that that rule of dialing back our expectations as parent as parents can really
1: help power through this very difficult time. So it's funny because I I feel like we could go on all day, Uh, but for time purposes, one of the things I think that my perspective in this, and I want to get your thought, is, again, it's not like we dove in and said, hey, we're going to jump into online. It was thrust upon us, and it's kind of here to stay, and I think there's an evolution to this. There's a learning process. There's a continuum that's going to take place over a period of time, and as that goes on for a period of time, some of the thought leaders, things will start to kind of – come together like i said you know corporate america has figured out the working memory challenge with multiple monitors and stuff like that so there's there's a darwinism if you will that's going to take place but we're in the middle of that right now and we don't have answers we don't know what's going on and there's a lot of stress and anxiety Uh, and i'm bringing this up to realize everybody's trying to figure this out this stuff out right now and it's going to take some time um from an emotional perspective, I'm sharing that with, with parents and those that are around is that, you know, at some point in time, this will pass. But we've got to have some patience, and we've got to – as frustrated as we get through the process, it is what it is, and we've got to play the ball where it lies. And managing your emotions in this process is a big issue. Just your thoughts on that concept and where we are, and this is really important because our kids are our kids, but at the same time, we do have to manage our emotions and deal with as best we can. This is reality right now. Thoughts?
0: Yes, you know, certainly it, it, it can be, it can feel such a downer every day. Um, but as much as we can keep it positive, you know, I, I heard the statistic many years ago that in school, special ed kids, the 80% of the feedback is that they get is negative. And so as parents, if we can shift that and, you know, our aim is to give them as much, it doesn't have to be like, wow, you're really great because that's not really helpful, but you know, oh, I love how you tried in that assignment. That's a positive, that's a positive comment. So if we can shift that and try to keep the majority of our comments to our kids positive, that can really move the needle. But when we look at this in perspective and, and we look back to see, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what I think we're gonna find is that there is just a real lack of teacher training. And some teachers, you may, may have seen this stuff with your own kids or other students that you know, some teachers have been brilliant with technology, and they've created breakout rooms, and they've done all these really neat creative things using interactive whiteboards, um, and other teachers haven't. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, this was thrown upon us. Um, certainly as parents, we have work to do, but I think also as educators, there needs to be a whole new realm of, of teacher training so that teachers are better equipped to handle this, and that they know what technology is out there, that can make a difference
1: in um their kid's success. That was actually just brilliantly stated um but at the end of the day I, I couldn't agree with you more but the teachers I think are well intended uh just like in the in the ADHD world I've been you know I've been doing this attention talk radio for over 10 years and you know a lot of the professionals I interview I mean their education was in the 80s And they have continuing – it's not like they went back to college again. They're well-intended, but things are moving. There's this lag time that kind of comes together. And so they are well-intended, but we do need this training. But at the end of the day, where is it going to be? Again, this is a bit of a quagmire that it's – again, the issue really is is it is what it is. Manage your emotions around it. Communicate as best you can. Advocate for your kid. And the one thing that I got out of this more than anything is – the reality of it is if you've got an ADHD kid, don't just DYI it yourself and bang heads with your kid. Get other resources. If you've got to hire a professional, do that. If you can work with the teachers, if you can find a friend, if you can swap, like I'll do your kid, you do mine, something like that, because you don't want that adversarial relationship, and this is a trial and error thing. Not only is it trial and error, but things change as grades go on, and – as, as I've learned over the years, uh, John Wilson at SOAR said, you know, when you're working with kids, you've got to understand what their currency is. And about the time you figure out their currency, in other words, that's that, that thing that you can do where you've got their attention, with, with puberty, it changes every couple of years. So about the time you think you've got it, it changes on you. It can be frustrating. But it's a da- dynamic environment. It is trial and error. And, you know, we're all going to get through this one way or another. So any other last thoughts before we wrap this up? I think um, your point about patience, stuff is just so important.
0: And it's just, it is so easy, you know, when we see our kids um, playing, you know, Call of Duty or Minecraft, when they should be listening to a math lesson. Like, those things drive us nuts as parents. And often we say things to our kids like, get offline or just try harder, or can't you focus? And those general statements aren't really that helpful. But I tell you what is helpful is to figure out kind of like what is your currency, but also like what are the subjects that really need to be focused on, and maybe you just pick one. Maybe it's just you know what, all you need to do is focus on math today, and that's the main thing. That's good. You're going to have a far better outcome than telling your kids generally to do a good job, because as we know, that doesn't work. And you know, picking a focus is, I found to be really, really helpful for kids with ADHD and they're much more likely to be compliant.
1: Yep. Uh, so I, I was going to wrap it up. You did spur one thought that I, with adults one time is I, I have a lot of adults with screen addiction problems and it's funny because a book doesn't have a hyperlink and it doesn't have social media. And so sometimes <laughs> you just got to buy the book so you can go read. So you're not interrupted by all that stuff. So I just had to throw that one in there. So anyway, I love
0: that. This, that is the truth.
1: <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're always very, very insightful thought leader, everybody check out our website. I know as it evolves, I'm sure she'll be posting stuff up there, like w- new insights and stuff to take a look at her website is ec2. And again, Anne, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Joe. Hope you enjoyed tonight's show, and uh, catch us again for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.